Welcome to Inside Divorce. My name is Hindel Grossman, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Gabrielle Clemens, who just wrote a book called Marriage is About Love and Divorce is About Money. So welcome, Gabrielle. Thank you, Hindel. Nice to be here. So tell us a little about yourself. Uh, well, yes, I'm a financial advisor. I'm a wealth manager, managing director at RBC Wealth Management, and I help people go through the divorce process and make smart financial decisions. So people who are contemplating, navigating, or recovering from the divorce process, um, and they have questions around uh, the financial decisions that they need to make and the impact of those financial decisions on their short-term and long-term uh, financial goals is what I focus on in helping my clients. Great. And we've had the pleasure of working together before um, on divorce cases. So we've, um, we know each other a bit and I know that how, how qualified you are and how helpful you've been to, to clients. So I'm excited about your book. I'm sure you are too. So just before we get to the book, which focuses on before, during, and after divorce, and what things you recommend uh, people think about. Um, let's talk about what you like about being a financial advisor in the divorce field. Sure. Well, you know, I've been doing this for over 25 years. I was a, uh, I was a divorce and tax and trust and estate attorney prior to transitioning to financial services. Uh, what I like about what I always liked about practicing law was, you know, dealing with the financials, dealing with the numbers, running the numbers, crunching the numbers. Uh, I would prepare tax returns. I would, you know, really get down to uh, the nitty gritty around how people are spending their money, how they're investing their money and how their cash flow operates and whether or not that's working. So uh, especially in divorce, I mean, those are all critical issues. Uh, marriage is about love. Divorce is about money, among other things. But primarily, it's dividing up a household um, into two, two households and making the numbers work for, um, for everyone, the children and both parents. And, um, and what I like about it is uh, just demystifying the process because a lot of the fear around divorce comes, comes from the uncertainty of the, of the post-divorce financial condition of both parties and, of course, the children. So I like getting in there and, you know, and parsing it all out. And, and people start to feel better uh, just understanding how this is going to work post-divorce. Right. And give them a pass forward. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you that a lot of um, fear comes from uncertainty. Um, also, fear comes from the fact that one spouse might be just ramping things up to a level where there's a lot of additional fear, like when one spouse says, I'm taking the children from you or I'm taking the house from you. And and the other spouse doesn't know whether that's actually possible. Yes. I mean, yeah. as, as I say in the book, um, you know, this is the perfect storm of your life. It involves your family, your fortress and your finances. And at any point in time, any one of those can be threatened and it makes you feel very insecure and uncertain about your future. Yeah. Um, it takes, it takes all the security of your life, um, out from under you at once. And you don't know whether what the other th spouses might be threatening is true or not. Yes, absolutely. Right. Right. So how do you get started when you're t dealing with a new client 
at the beginning? Let's say it's before the divorce starts. Okay, so before the divorce, um, I'd like to get to know my clients a bit. Now, I'd like to understand sort of what their expectations are, why they're embarking on this process, whether they've been served or they've asked for a divorce or they want the divorce, and really what their expectations are for their post-divorce lifestyle. And just breaking out of that that fear factor and breaking out of the framework that you know they don't they don't know what to do oftentimes people are in a deer in headlights they're facing a legal process that they've probably never been in before um you know right. other than pr- potentially buying your house you've probably never you know been through uh, the financial scrutiny and the lifestyle scrutiny uh in the past and with with the law and there are so many legal um, legal aspects you may not understand and the words that you don't understand the terminology all of a sudden you're hiring attorneys you're hiring specialists so um so the first thing i like to do is sort of get get a grip on where we are explain the process and we start with the financial statement we actually start with where what is the money coming in and where is it going out and most people know what's coming in um and they can look through their credit card statements their their tax returns their w2s and really see you know what's coming in and then their um their amazon statements yeah. and see where the money's going the thing is, though, that sometimes we represent the person who doesn't really know a lot about the finances. So it's easier when we do represent the people who know about the finances, but sometimes that's not the case. So we're dealing a little bit blind at the beginning. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And it's a process. And it's one that can be daunting and overwhelming as they start to gather the information. But after a while, it truly empowers that party to really, you know, come to terms with what I need to know post-divorce. So, so you know, if I'm going to be running my own household and I need a budget and I need to know these things now, and, and it's, it becomes very comfortable for them after they've been through these numbers and they start to see the whole picture and then they can see where they can cut back or where they can increase or they make lifestyle choices around what the finances are, not what they used to be. Well, hopefully so. Some people still make bad financial choices, right? (laughs) No matter what we do. Right. That's what we're trying to avoid. Yeah. 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 Um, Well, it also, you know, getting you involved is so helpful because it makes them to focus on the reality of their lives from a financial and an economic point of view, as opposed to driving, being driven by emotion. So we can get them to focus on, let's call it facts, you know, which are finances, uh, because numbers do speak, uh, you know, some sort of reality and get them off of the emotional train that they might be on, which gets derailed a lot. That's true. And that's, that's a, uh, an important tenant of the book because we say this is the most important business deal of your life, really. And treat it like, treat it like that. Treat it as a business. Yeah. And, you know, don't become too emotional over who gets the, the good chair. Uh, you can spend a lot of money on attorney's fees, to, you know, fighting over something that you could have purchased, you know, 10 times over, um, you know, because, because of the money yeah. that you spend in the process. So, you know, try not to be vindictive, try not to be revengeful. Um, I know it's hard because your emotions do play uh, do play a role in this whole process because, um, you know, it's just, it, it's your home, it's your family. And it's, you know, an expectation. If you, if you weren't anticipating a divorce, there was an expectation that you were going to be together forever. Uh, and that just doesn't happen anymore. 
So, um, so to put on your business hat and be logical and approach this um, with a clear head uh, will make this process easier, and you can step back uh, and see this see this from a um, from from a, with with clarity. As I say in the yeah. book, um, you know, the person you're divorcing is not the person you marry. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. So I often observe that. Um, it's important for the client to get out of the same pattern that they've been in that led to the breakup of their marriage, you know, so that, you know, sometimes like I have a client right now who's the pushover and, and she's the aggressive uh, bullying one. Um, so I was the husband in this divorce and, you know, they've argued about things, but ultimately he capitulated during the marriage and um, because she just kind of bullied him into it. And now I'm training him to say no, or I'm training him to say, I'm going to think about it and then make a decision for himself and then pursue that choice rather than just rolling over. So we've just, we've just been retained um, a week ago. So I said to him, you know, you're in training. So give yourself a little time and don't say yes all the time. Um, you might say, ultimately say yes, but at least give it a little bit of thought. Give yourself a little time to think about it. And then get back to her, and you know we're in a, we're in a different stage of your relationship now. So change the way you respond. Yes, change the way you approach all of these things because um, yeah. now you know, especially obviously you're representing him, and you know she has an attorney, and you know they need to somewhat advocate for themselves. But at the same time, the dynamic has changed in the relationship. Right. Yeah, the dynamic definitely should change this relationship. Yeah. So, all right. So before you're basically getting people grounded and focused and hopefully off that emotional train that, you know, would be driving bad decisions. And so then what happens? They move into the divorce phase. Yes. So and they've moved into the divorce phase and um, my book outlines how to hire an attorney, the questions to ask. And one of the most important questions, Tyndale, I'm finding right now is, um, you know, asking an attorney, do you have time for my case? Everyone is extremely busy. Everyone is juggling many cases. You have one attorney. Your attorney has several clients. Um, you want to make sure that if you're going to work with an attorney, that you know they they are there to support you, and just that you have you have an understanding of of your expectations and their expectations with respect to you know what's the turnaround time on an email or a phone call. Um, just just lay it out there around you know what is this going to cost? What's your hourly rate? How, you know how often do you bill me? Um, how how what's your retainer? How often do I have to replenish the retainer? Um, so really getting on an understanding and having an understanding with your attorney as to exactly how this is going to work with this relationship because it's expensive and extremely inefficient to have to change attorneys in in the middle of a process. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just not the best way to approach this. Um, and then we get into what, once you've hired an attorney, uh, then we can look at the different processes. So we look I, the book reviews mediation, arbitration, collaborative law, and litigation. Uh, and even though you've hired an attorney, you can always take one or two of these issues off to mediation figure out that, you know, resolve that one conflict and then come back to litigation and say, okay, we've decided on this. Now let's, let's continue the path. Right. 
Yeah, that, it's hard. You know, when I first meet a client, I talk about two different pillars. One is substance and one is process. And you were just talking about the process pillar. It is complicated because litigation, you know, is that train, keep using the train analogy today, but it's a path you take and um, you can jump off of it into mediation or even arbitration probably um, or conciliation uh, but it's or mediation or just negotiation between attorneys. Yeah. But, you know, jumping in and out of those processes that gets complicated for clients. You know, can I do this? What's the right time to do it? Who's the right choice to do it? Exactly. Yes. It's, um, it's complicated and people don't understand uh, exactly the difference between these different processes and the benefits and the drawbacks of, of each one. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, the first order of business would be to um, hire, hire a therapist, get your team in order and then pick a process. And of course, if you're going with some type of collaborative or, um, you know, some type of mediation or collaborative law, something that requires the both of you, uh, both parties to interact and agree, uh, it's, it's good to, to each of you to come up with a few different choices for mediation professionals. Ask your friends, your family, your coworkers, who they've worked with. Um, each submit a list of three names, and if there's someone that appears on both lists, interview that person and interview maybe a few others until you find the right fit. Because again, with an attorney, with a mediator, you you don't want to have to change in the middle of the road. You want to make sure that um, this process yeah. is going to work the first time around uh, and not be protracted yeah. just because you hired the wrong people. Yeah. Mediation is great when it works, I say. Um, I always encourage people to try it, it's a, but it's, it's a matter of timing often. You know, they may not be ready for it from the start. I love when they are because at least they feel that they can work with a neutral mediator and move forward together. Um, but I, I like to recommend that they not take attorneys to mediation, but that they consult with attorneys um, between mediation sessions so they have some idea what their strategy should be and what things mean. If they, you know, don't have a good grasp of, uh, you know, what the weight is of his decision. Yeah, I because a mediator being neutral can't advise either side. Yes, I agree, and um, yes, the, the mediator cannot promote one side or the other or advocate. Um, so coming to the ta- the mediation table with your ducks in a row, you know what you want, you know what you're going to discuss, you know what questions to ask. Um, that is that is absolutely a great way to to approach this process because it's, it is very um, cooperative and you're reaching these agreements and these these systems for your for your for your post divorce life together and as a result yeah. because both both parties are contributing to that part of the process I think there's a higher likelihood that they will comply with the process that you've agreed to if you just have a judge telling you how you're going to live your life and how often you're going to see your children, it becomes adversarial. And I don't think it has to be that way. But I agree. Mediation is great when it works. Uh, It doesn't always work. It requires Mm -hmm. um, a lot of trust. And it does require a lot of cooperation with producing information that um, sometimes otherwise would be hard to hard to get. Yeah. All right. Sometimes if people aren't ready to mediate at the beginning, after they beat each other up in court a little bit and spend a huge amount of legal fees, they get <laughs> more ready to mediate, right? It's, they've softened up a little bit. Yeah. Legal fees are very uh, motivating uh, when you want to just you know make a deal and, and move on. Um, now that you understand the scope and the, um, the breadth of, of the legal process, I mean, it's 
you know, you just talk to people about these different judges, the judges in your county, um, you know, they, they're very different. And in Massachusetts, certainly, uh, they all apply the law, they apply the facts very differently. And, um, and it's, it can be very uh, uncertain as to the outcome. And if you want certainty in an outcome, then you have to participate with your partner and your spouse as to, you know, what the outcome is going to be. You may not like it, yeah. but at least it will be better than leaving it randomly up to a judge to decide. And the judge's discretion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about process um, during the divorce, choosing an attorney. What else do you think people need to do? This is one of the fun things in my book is I tell, uh, I tell my clients to start a vision board. Um, I know it's sort of arts and craftsy, but you know, it really starts to, you know, get your mind thinking about the future. You know, divorce should be about the future, not about the past. It's about moving forward separating from your spouse and, and moving forward in a life that is um, suitable for you and, and hopefully um, empowering and, uh, you know, encouraging for you. So starting a vision board, if you've never done it, it it's, it's getting a, a, a piece of paper, sort of like a poster board, like you did when you were in grammar school and, and just start mm -hmm. visualizing what your, what your post-divorce life is going to look like. What's the perfect day. And it's your board. You can do whatever you want with it. You can take pictures down after, two weeks, you can put a different picture up, you can maybe see a better picture. Um, and as you go through this process, just start visualizing um, what you would like your future to look like and work, work forward from there. And when we run the numbers, I look at, you know, um, you want a travel budget of, let's say, $10,000 a year. Where would you go? Start planning a trip. We don't have to buy it. We don't have to pay for it. You don't have to put on a credit card, but just start thinking about what you would do if you weren't married and if you know you didn't have the children for 2 weeks during the summer what are your what are your plans how are you going to spend that time and then you start to envision literally what your life is going to be and then you're going to execute on that plan and you decide on each I actually would prefer two 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 trips for $5000 each or five trips for $2,000 each, or actually just a trip to the Cape for a week might, might suffice and I'll put the rest into redoing my bathroom or something like that. I mean, you start to make financial decisions around, um, around your lifestyle when you know what the finances are and then how are we going to spend that money? But yes, there's so many ways to travel or to, um, you know, to, in, to execute on your vision um, that you know you may not be thinking about today. So, as you said, you have to approach your your, your lifestyle differently. You have to approach your relationship differently, um, and and work to create a future that's that that you that you want. And um, and a vision board really helps with that. I think it's a lovely idea, and it gets people really looking forward and and kind of excited about the new chapter of their life. It's a reset. You know, divorce is tra as tragic. And devastating as it is, it's an opportunity to kind of make some choices about your life moving forward in a positive way. Things that you have put on your back burner because your circumstances don't allow it. And now circumstances might allow for changes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't have to be devastating. It's a, it's a change and uh, it may be shocking, but it doesn't have to define clients. It doesn't have to define people for the rest of their lives. They, you know, I, there's so many of my clients who get remarried and they have a very different, very different relationship 
with their their current spouse than their past spouse and their you know reasons for that but you know especially if you're in therapy and you you understand um you know what you do want from a relationship and what you do want from your lifestyle then you're setting the terms of what you want and then you're 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 fulfilling those terms and the terms mm-hmm. may have to change depending on your resources your emotional and financial resources uh, and geographical if you can't leave the area because your children are in school but you know but but you can you can work with that and and I think that's the the value of envisioning the future and starting with a vision board yeah yeah I think that's lovely it's a it's a great idea. And, you know, sometimes we represent the person who wants the divorce and sometimes we represent the person who doesn't. And so sometimes it takes a little longer for the person who doesn't initially want the divorce to come to terms with it and start envisioning the future. So a vision board's great for getting them to see that. Yeah. That opportunity. Yeah. And that's why I say the first the first professional to add to your team is going to be um, a therapist. And get and you know honestly the the group therapy is is amazing for people just because you can see you're not alone. There are plenty of women's groups, men's groups, um, you know, moms groups, um, and just to know that you're not alone and people have gone through this and they have successfully gone on with their lives. Um, but that's that's the first part of accepting that you are in this process. It is happening. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and, and these are, these are strategies to get through it and, and have the best outcome, um, with respect to your situation. Another thing I, you know, I always say is you know, this isn't your, 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 your friend's divorce. This isn't your neighbor's divorce. This isn't your coworker's divorce. Every divorce is different just because they got the house. They may not have gotten other things. Um, and you know, every, every divorce is unique as Hindell and, you know, as a divorce attorney, you know, yeah. and yeah. you know, so you really can't compare your process or your outcome with anyone else's because that will just drive you crazy. Yeah, that's for sure. It's a little dangerous for people to start doing that. And then they have expectations that are unrealistic because someone else got something that they think they should get. And it is an important message to say, this is, your divorce is unique. It's, it's not like anybody else's. Your circumstances are different. Your finances are different. Your needs are different. Um, your, your case is different. Yeah. And my goal is that, um, that for after, for, for when this, when this process is over, I really don't, I don't want you to go back and look and say, oh, I should have done this. I shouldn't have done that. I made the wrong decision. They, they bullied me into this. I mean, regret is is just going to ruin your future. So make sure yeah. that you understand your agreement. You may not like your agreement, but at least you're going to understand it, understand where you're, how you got here, and why you made these these financial and you know other decisions. Uh, because it's going to it will be very yeah. destructive. If, if you can't get to that point after divorce. And, and that brings us to the, you know, the post-divorce part of the book and just of the whole process, which is tying everything up. Um, you know, what a quadro is, qualified domestic relations order, all these things that you have to do, um, how to file taxes, um, how to change your name, how to, you know, get on SSA.gov, social security, uh, in order to change your name, um, doing a whole new estate plan, uh, because now the estate planning documents have been rescinded, at least in Massachusetts. Um, so all these, all these um, housekeeping items that you get to do when your divorce is over, 
Uh, some have time limits, some don't, but it's important to um, pay attention to those and pay attention to the timeline. If, if they, if, if a time um, line is described in your divorce, uh, so you want to make sure you do those things right away and not wait, um, and 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 then start to move on to your life. Yeah, so so much to do in a couple of years, right? I mean, think about the divorce, go through the divorce, and then wrap up the loose ends afterward. And with your assistance as a financial advisor during the process, um, you've lent so much assistance to people looking at the tax ramifications and the cash flow um, benefits to living in a certain way. And people come out better in the end. You could probably live a healthier financial life after the divorce, particularly if you're doing it on your own. And you can make these smarter financial decisions by yourself. Yes, absolutely. I mean, when, one thing that I recommend is for people to, you know, book a trip for the day after your, your divorce, whether it's a, a drive to Vermont or, you know, a, a quick plane flight somewhere or, or wherever to visit a friend. You know, give yourself a lot of self-care after the divorce because you're going to need it. But also that's, that's when your future starts. And, um, and even before you start to pull all these um, these administrative tasks together, um, you know, do something for yourself. Go to go to a you know a week, take a weekend at a at a you know spa or something. Whatever you can afford, you can build it into your financial picture. Um, and yeah. and really take care of yourself and give yourself a moment to breathe because it's um, you know you need that and uh, to just move on and and not take a breath for yourself. I think um, would be a mistake. That's a wonderful idea. Great. Well, I've been speaking with Gabrielle Clemens, who just published a book, just released, called Marriage is About Love and Divorce is About Money. And I urge uh, listeners to buy the book, uh, listen to the podcast, call Gabrielle Clemens. And how can people reach you, Gabrielle? Uh, sure. My, my office number is 617-725-1702. You can always call myself, 781-910-4770 or give me, uh, send me an email, gabrielle.clemens at rbc.com. Great. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.